Tonight we're going to start the book of 1 Thessalonians. So please turn me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians as we're going through the Bible on Wednesday nights. I have been loving this section of Scripture. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's really a pastor's dream to teach through these. I'll be honest, Leviticus, not quite so much. It is God's Word as well. There's great stuff in that as well. We'll leave Leviticus to Pastor Sean when we get there. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for the opportunity to come in the middle of our week and pause and worship you and draw near to you. Thank you that you have torn the veil, Jesus, so that we can have open access to you. God, you know each and every one of us, the challenges we face tonight, the joys in our lives. and God, we want to have ears to hear. We don't want to be dull of hearing. We are thankful that we can go through this section of Scripture together and ask that you'd really bless the study of 1 Thessalonians. In Jesus' name, amen. You've probably pondered this question, what is church to be? And I'm speaking of us collectively. What, what is it that we're to be about? What's our identity? What's our, our virtues? And these bloopers and some bulletins show us what the church can be at times. It says, Scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. The outreach committee has enlisted 25 visitors to make calls on people who are not afflicted with any church. That can be true sometimes. Ushers will eat any latecomers. The third verse of Blessed Assurance will be sung without musical accomplishment. So these are all things that have been written in bulletins. During the absence of our pastor, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon (laughs) when J.F. Stubbs uh, supplied our pulpit, so... A welcome for the pastor to come home to. A song fest was held at the Methodist Church Wednesday. That's how, that's how it was typed up. I Just sharing with you a blooper. So we know what church can be at times. I bet that there's some of you that have been really hurt by believers over a different point in your, in your walk with the Lord. To the degree where you're saying, I don't know if it's worth it to be plugged in with a body of believers. You're committed to Christ. You're a follower of Christ, but you say, I don't don't really know if I can risk being hurt in that way. But we know that church is so important to Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's what he sees. He describes it as the body of Christ. In Revelation 2 and 3, it tells us that he's in the midst of his golden lampstands, the churches. So we miss out on something with Jesus when we just give up on, on the church. When we look at 1 Thessalonians, especially in these first three chapters, I think it gives us a good idea of what the identity of the church should be. What is it that we should be longing for? What is it that we should be striving for? What is it that would mark us as a group of people in our gatherings uh, together? It was a really awesome work that God has done in this group of people. If you're an outliner, if you like to take notes, the, the first three chapters is Paul Remembers. He's remembering the beginnings of this church, his relationship uh, with this church. So he's, he's remembering in the first three chapters. 
And then we'll find that he exhorts in the last two chapters. He, he challenges and, and he says, these are the, the things that I need you to take to heart and to put into practice. He addresses questions that have been brought to him. So before we get into this tonight, let's look at what is the background of this church. What do we know about the church of Thessalonica? Where is it located? First, it's in modern-day Greece. It was a port city. So right on the Mediterranean was a port city. And it was the largest port city of the Roman Empire. It also was equipped with a hospital. So lots of people would come in uh, needing physical aid and, and attention. It was on the major Roman route from the Orient. So it was a well-traveled by land as well as people made their way to Rome. We also know from history there was a large Jewish population to the point where they built a very large synagogue that, that has been found, but there was also a large presence of Greek pagan worship. So this is a large city with a lot of different influence. This Jewish influence was there until World War I when the Allied troops came in. Uh, they, they found the Nazis had executed 60,000 Jews uh, during that, that time. And so the, the Jewish population in this area of this world continued going back all the way to, to this time. How did the church start? Acts 17 is Paul is on his second missionary journey in the first 10 verses there. He goes to the synagogue. He preaches. People respond. People get saved. But then persecution comes, and he's quickly pressed out of this city. And he has to go to Berea, which was 40 miles west of Thessalonica. So he's not in Thessalonica very long, but yet God birthed the church. And this kind of goes against modern convention, doesn't it? That you have to be somewhere for a really long time in order for a solid church to be established. Now, now that's wonderful, and a lot of times that is God's heart, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes God does things like he did with the Apostle Paul, where it's a, it's a short amount of time that Paul was there. Men were saved and local leadership was raised up. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, here I'm writing to you, but also Silvanus, which is Silas, who journeyed with Paul in a lot of his journeys, and Timothy. Timothy was a young man, protege, a disciple, someone that Paul was mentoring we find that Paul always did ministry in a team context. He never served God alone. And it's so important for us as believers to do life with other believers in relationship. And it can be easy over time to isolate yourself. It can be easy over time to become a lone ranger, become a maverick, maybe because you have been hurt by other believers. Paul had been hurt by believers as well, but he always chose to travel with other men to do ministry together. He, he wasn't in this place where he was, was isolated. It's really important. Imagine that kind of temptation that Paul would go through if he's alone on these missionary journeys. He's really opening himself up to undue temptation, and he saw the value of being together in a team. It's not always easy, but it's always better. It's always better. It, God sent the disciples out in two. He wants us serving the Lord together. This introduction, grace to you and peace, which we find throughout the epistles, is pronouncement of God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. We never run out of our need for the grace of God. 
Aren't you thankful the gospel hasn't changed? That we're not saved because of our works, or, or saved because we're at a Wednesday night study, or we're tithing. We're saved by God's grace. We live by God's grace. He's continually pouring in his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. And when we know the grace of God, we're living in the grace of God, it results in God's peace. God, you've got this. My relationship with you is one that's based on grace, not based upon works. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all. Guess Paul was Texan. Puts the you all in there. We give thanks for you all making mention of you in our prayers. That went over like a lead balloon right there, I guess. It's like, I've heard that one way too many times. Paul was not a Texan. So. Paul, he had a heart for believers, a heart to be thankful for these believers. And just as we've talked about being connected to believers, is this our overall attitude towards the church, our overall attitude towards the, the body of Christ? Yes, the body of Christ has its warts and is sinful. There's only one head, and that's Christ. But, man, aren't we thankful for the body of Christ? Aren't we thankful for all the churches in Colorado Springs that proclaim the name of Jesus, that, that love the word of God? God's doing a great work in and in, through our city. It's encouraging you to know there's believers that are meeting all over the world that love the Lord, that are serving the Lord. And Paul's thankful for them, and then also Paul prays for them. We see Paul's prayer life throughout the epistles. He knew the power of prayer and the importance of, of bathing these churches in prayer. What was Paul's prayer life like? Can you, can you picture him now after going through this section of the New Testament? He's praying for the church of Ephesus. And he's praying for the church in Colossae. Praying for the church in Philippi. Praying for the church back in Jerusalem. Just lifting all of these churches up to the Lord in prayer. In verse 3, he says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So when we look at what's the identity of the church, first we see virtues of the church. And he says about specifically the church of Thessalonica, he says, I'm remembering you because without ceasing. So they wouldn't stop in these things. They were persistent and consistent in these things. Your work of faith. These are virtues of this particular church. Notice those two words, faith and work. It almost seems like the two don't go together, right? Because we trust the Lord through faith and we receive grace for salvation. But as we're living in a grace-filled relationship with the Lord, it motivates us to serve. It motivates us to want to work. Maybe this describes your marriage. Maybe you live in a grace-filled marriage where you're not trying to earn or deserve favor, there's confidence in the relationship, does that produce a desire in you to want to, sh to serve? I would hope so. It probably does even in a, in a greater way. So this church has the work of faith, and we have a faith that works. It's not that we're saved by our works, but if I believe something, if you believe something, it's going to affect the way you behave. And so we find in, in this church that they were working out their faith. They were living out their faith in the things that they did and the things that they, they said. You could see it in their lifestyle. And I think if we were to look at the identity of the church, we would say, that's a virtue of the church that's important, isn't it? That our faith would be lived out, that our faith would be seen, that it would be a, a faith that, that works. And then followed by this is this virtue of love. So important. 
1 Corinthians 13 tells us that it's the greatest. It's the greatest attribute is love. Think about the people that have impacted your life. They probably loved you, sacrificed for you. And from a biblical perspective, love involves labor. And that's not something that our culture tells us. Love's all based on feelings. And then when you run out of feelings, you've run out of love. But this church would labor in love. They would toil in love. Jesus toiled in love, didn't he? As he was on the cross, he suffered upon the cross. And this is an important virtue for us as as believers towards one another, is that we would labor in love. That we'd be willing to to sacrifice for one another in love. We see this in in our church body. There's People that serve continually and they, they labor in love. I was amazed tonight at our servants over in Awana that are just serving those young kids as they come in. Work a long day, try to cram in some food, get into their classrooms by 6.15, and here come a tyrant of terrorists, you know? <laughs> tyrant of little, little cubbies that, so that we can enjoy this time here in the Word of God, but even more than that, that they could be discipled. Over 100 volunteers are, are committed, you know, to do that for, for this school year. And we know that we're, we're all busy, and that's, that's a labor of love. Our worship team, I was thinking about our worship team. Our, our worship team are, are volunteers. They, they choose to, to serve and to serve with, with Billy, our, our worship pastor. You know, and a lot of them will be here all weekend, Saturday for a service, two services on Sunday. They're the first ones here Saturday afternoon, get, get here early to begin to, to practice, and then we'll come back and serve again on, on Wednesday night and get here early to be able to, to practice, and they're probably really upset that I'm pointing them out, you know. But isn't it a blessing to know when you come in that you're going to have the opportunity to worship God, and they put thought into it, and they've th- put prayer into it? I mean, we, we've had ushers here that have been faithful to usher for years and years and years before I ever even arrived at the church. And they've got their door, you know, and you, you recognize them, and it's a, it's a labor of love. Does it all have to be seen? Does it have to be on the worship team or in Awana or the youth ministry or an usher? No, it doesn't. You labor in love. This church is a, a blessing, Rocky Mountain Calvary. And I, I've experienced so much love in being in this church for, for 16 years. And I think that from even an outsider's perspective, there is a, a labor of love here. But I'd also want to encourage us and challenge us. If you're like me, there's probably some point in your life that God's pushing you to go a little bit further in the labor of love. Maybe there's a fellow believer that's difficult to love. Maybe there's someone that you do love and care for greatly, but they're a little difficult right now. Don't we all get a little difficult sometimes? I have seasons of difficulty for others, you know. That's the nature of our, of our fallen state. And to be able to say, I'm committed to this person. I'm going to labor in love for them and, and with them. And what a great virtue of the church of Thessalonica. And patient of hope. So patience is endurance. It's bearing underneath the weight of a trial. And then hope is that confident expectation of coming good. It's not I wish or a hope or a whim. It, it's I know who God is and I know that he's working in this situation. We'll find in this chapter that the church is going through much affliction, even in receiving the word, it was with persecution. And they chose to continue to have endurance of hope. So this is the idea. This should be a virtue of the church, is that we're enduring through a trial with hope. We're going through a trial with the anticipation 
that God's working in the midst of the challenge. Proverbs 13 verse 12 tells us that a hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's a big deal to God. It's, it's a big deal to our Christian life. Satan would want to rob us of hope. And once the, the heart has lost hope, then we, we find a sickness of, of our soul. And so God would want us to be in that place where he's the God of hope and we would hold on to, to that hope. So the identity of the church, work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. The end of verse 3 says, in the sight of our God and Father. That's the most important thing. As we're loving the Lord and loving one another, doing our lives, we're doing it before God. God sees. Who cares if man sees? That's not important. We're laboring before the Lord. In verse 4, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. It says, guys, you're, you're doing these great things. There's these great virtues in your life. But I want you to know that you're chosen by God. I want you to know that you're elected by God. There's two things in verse 4. Beloved brethren, I want you to know you're beloved. And that's God's message for you tonight. On this Wednesday night, you are loved by God. You're his son, you're his daughter, if you're, you're in Christ. And then also, God chose you. Isn't there so much power in being chosen? Maybe you're elected for a job and there was a lot of candidates and they, they chose you. Humbled, thankful. Of all the people that your spouse could have chose to marry, they chose to marry you. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? They've continued to choose to be married to you. Going back to elementary school, it's time for recess. The only part of the school day I really excelled in. Two team captains, right? For us in Grants Pass, Oregon, it was always pickup games of football. It was the worst to be the last chosen. And there was usually some kind of discussion like, we took him last time. It's your turn. You, you got to take him. Like, he's the last picked every day. And everybody's kind of waiting, waiting. Your turn. You, you have to take him. That hurts, you know? I'm sure some of you have some deep wounds of, of rejection. And to know by the one person that really counts by God, you're chosen. And he knows everything about us. Do you ever have some Christmas gifts? If you had foreknowledge, you would not choose those gifts. You open them up and you try to act thankful, but your face says, this is the worst gift I've ever gotten in my life, right? If you had knowledge of that gift, you would do everything you could to weasel your way out of it. And God knew everything about us all of our sin, all of our struggles, all of our shortcomings, and he chose us. It's also a good way to view one another. You're loved by God. You're the elect of God. So that should impact how I see you and how I serve you and how I want to spend time with you. In verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you, for your sake. So we've seen the virtues of the church, but we, now we see the conception of the church. The church of Thessalonica, it took place with the gospel. The gospel came into this community, into the seaport city. What's the gospel? That Jesus died for your sins and was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul didn't come in his own intellect. He didn't come in his own wisdom. He came in the power of the name of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel. And I suggest to you that every true church is birthed in the gospel, and every true church remains in the gospel. Amen? 
So our conception, when we look at what should be the church, what should the church be all about, it should be about the gospel. We don't ever want to lose our message. And it can be easy for churches to do that over time. Where we start sharing good ideas, we start sharing opinions, we start sharing how your life can be better, but we leave out this, that we're sinners whom Christ loved, that he died for us, that he rose again, that we turn from our sin, we repent and believe and trust and receive the grace of God. And that's so powerful. Remember when the light bulb got turned on in your perspective to the gospel. And this is something that we share here, that we always want to be part of our our corporate gatherings. But it's not only shared here, right? We're, we're, We're equipped. If you've been coming here for a while, you're equipped to be able to take this good news and share it with others, to take this gospel and be able to to share it with others. This is how the church was birthed. Paul came and proclaimed the gospel, and look what happened. The Holy Spirit honored the gospel. It came in power. It came in word, but it also came in power. And then the Holy Spirit came as well and assured people that Christ had come into their life. I love that. There's times down front where someone will respond to the gospel and we'll get to pray with them. And we're done praying and introducing them to Christ. And sometimes they just say some of the craziest things. They're brand new believers and they're like, man, I was planning to go out and get with my friends after service tonight and just get wasted and party. Do you think I'm supposed to do that? It's like, I I didn't have time to go through Ephesians 5 with them. We just introduced them to Jesus. And Jesus is now living inside of them, and the assurance of the Holy Spirit is there, and they're going, I don't know if this is, supposed, this is really a good idea. Sometimes people will get saved, and the next thing they'll say is, man, I'm living with my boyfriend, I'm living with my girlfriend, I don't know if I should still do this. I'm like, man, what just happened there? The Holy Spirit came inside of them. It's not uncommon for a new believer right away, as soon as they receive Christ their Savior, do you have any questions? Man, I really want to share with this family member. I really want to share with this this group of people. What what happened? The Holy Spirit assured them that they were the child of God. The Holy Spirit started doing a work in and through their lives. And I hope you've experienced this in your life. There's a possibility that you know the gospel and you've even believed the gospel, but to have the power of God work in your life where you know that God loves you. You know without a shadow of doubt that Jesus is God and his power is working in and through through your life, because it goes a long ways in our lives, doesn't it? When his power begins to work in and through our lives. I get excited about this. I get excited about our community. I get excited about living here. You know why? Because there's a ton of people that don't know the gospel. There's a ton of people that don't know Jesus, that have never experienced the power of God in his life. And we get to live in and amongst people that that don't know the Lord, to be able to share Christ with them, to look for those opportunities. I love hearing your stories of how you're around people that don't know Christ as their Savior, and you're pointing them to Jesus through, through the power of the gospel. It's the conception of the church, but it's also the continuation of the church. And then in verse 6, we see the character of the church. With the, the church of Thessalonica, there's some things that they did right away that are super awesome. It says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So the first characteristic of this group 
is that they were followers of Paul and followers of the Lord. Most importantly, followers of the Lord. Paul came in for this short period. They saw God's power working through his life, and they said, that's a person that we can follow. That's an example that we can follow, but it's secondary to the example of following Jesus Christ. This is so important. I hope that you've put all your faith in Jesus, that you're following him, that he's your mentor, that he's your model, because the best of Paul's will let you down. Amen? Paul is wonderful, but at the end of the day, he was the chief of sinners. He said it from his own mouth. And so you put your faith in Christ and you follow Christ, but it's also important to look around and go, hey, you know what? My faith's in Christ. I'm following Christ. But I see this person over there. They've walked with the Lord a little bit longer. I know they're not perfect, but I see some things in their life that I would love to be in my life. And I'm going to begin to model some of those things. More things are caught than taught. What do I mean by that? When we talk about our Christian faith and learning how to follow the Lord, sometimes you've got to see it lived out by, by somebody else. Maybe you're new in the Lord. You've just received the Lord in the last few months, in the last few years, and you're like, ah, there's so much of this that's so confusing to me, and everybody else seems to get it, but I don't get it. How, how do I grow in this? Look around and go, okay, here's somebody who's walked with the Lord a, bit, a little bit longer, and I'm going to start to model some of those things. Go to men's ministry. Go to women's ministry. You're going to meet people like that. Go to, go to a small group. You're going to be in relationship with people like that. If you've been in the Lord for a long time, we still need a Paul in our lives. We need, still need somebody that we can go, man, you've walked with the Lord longer. There's this, this area of your life that you have so much more maturity. I want to learn from those things and begin to model some of those things in my life. You're going to learn so much about marriage by watching someone else's marriage. You're going to learn so much by parenting by watching someone else parent. You're going to learn so much about sharing the gospel by listening to somebody else uh, sh- share the gospel. And so they, they followed Paul, but most importantly, they followed the Lord, and they received the word. So here they are in Thessalonica, Paul's sharing, they received the gospel, they received the word of God that was being preached to them in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Many times when my heart is the most receptive to the word of God is when I'm in affliction, because the pain makes the soil of my heart nice and soft. Makes it open to what God's word would say. When I'm comfortable and complacent and there's not a lot of need in my life, a lot of pain in my life, it's easy to get dull of hearing, isn't it? And just like we always want the gospel to be alive in our lives and alive in our church, we want to be in a position and a posture of receiving God's word. Lord, I want to hear from you. What does your word have have to say to me? Because the moment that we stop receiving the word is the moment we start drifting from the Lord. The great characteristic of this church is they received the word. Even though they were in affliction, they had the joy of the Holy Spirit. See what happens in verse 7. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. So they received the word as a characteristic, and now they lived the word. They're examples of the word. This is a great pattern. For us, when we look at the identity of a church, where we go, okay, God, my heart's open. I want to hear from you, who you are. I want to receive your word. And by your grace and by your power, I want to start living it out. And as I start living it out, that you would allow me to be an example. You know, I don't think that the church of Thessalonica said, you know what, we really want to be examples of the word. 
through this whole region of Greece, through, through Macedonia. I think they fell in love with Jesus. I think they got stoked out of their minds about the word of God and who Christ is and the grace that God had saved them. They weren't overly concerned with being an example. They were overly concerned with Jesus and the result was they became an example. Have you found periods of time in your life like that where you're just caught up with God, caught up with worship, caught up with who he is and his character and your nature, his nature, and you look around and you go, wow, God's really done a work in me. It's been six months, it's been a year, it's been 18 months. I'm not the same person that I was. When people start coming up to you and start saying, I notice a change in you. There's something different about you. And they start to realize that you're an example of, of the word of God. But what a wonderful process in our lives to have God's word impact us that greatly to where then our lives are an example of, of the word of God. In verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Received the word, lived the word, and then they sounded forth the word. Church, God's given you a mic. It's your mic. It's called your life. And his word can sound forth from your life. Your mouth can be used to declare the grace of God and the goodness of God and what God has done for you. Your hands can live out the love of Jesus Christ. Your feet can take you to broken and hurting people. That's what God desires for the church. He wants the church, us together, as a group of people that are called out of the darkness into the light to go out and to sound forth the word of God. And that's what happened through the church of Thessalonica. And they didn't have a lot of resources. They didn't have a lot of training. Paul wasn't able to spend a ton of time with them. They were open, they were learning, and they wanted to share it with others. My devotions change when I go with it with the approach of, Lord, I want to learn first and foremost, and I want to be ready to share this with somebody that you'll put into my life today. So I'm going through my day going, okay, I read this verse. I read this section of scripture. Lord, would you have me to share this with someone today? It affects the way that I listen to a message. If I listen to a message knowing that I'm going to share it with somebody else, I'm a really good listener. I take really good notes. And so you you know, I do rob from other pastors. I I listen to other messages and go, oh, that was really good. I'm going to use that, you know. Open heart, open mind, taking notes, because I want to sound it forth to, to, to others. Man, the joy of sharing the word of God, taking the opportunity that God gives us. I think the prayer for every church, God's desire for every church, is that they would impact their region. That they would impact their region. We would hope that by God's grace, Colorado Springs would be different, because... We live here, Christ lives in us, and we're reaching out with the the love of Jesus Christ. Hopefully, to to some degree, this neighborhood is different because God has planted this church here. Hopefully, the street that I live on is different because we're planted there and we're reaching out with, with the love of Jesus Christ. Hopefully, your workplace is different because you're there. 
And you're bringing in Christ's presence into that, that situation. That, that's God's heart and intent for the church. Continuing in verse 8, it says, Your faith toward God has gone out so that we may not need to say anything. <laughs> Paul's like, when I think about missionary work here in this region, you guys have done it. Your faith has gone out. So we're not in need of anything to be able to come and share. What a compliment, you know? There was a time in America's history that we were the ones sending missionaries to other countries because the church was so strong. And now we go visit these other countries and they say, we're sending missionaries to the United States of America because you brought us the word of God. You're departing from the word of God. So we feel compelled to bring missionaries to the United States. Right here in the sanctuary, I met a woman from Uganda that her and her husband moved here to Colorado Springs and are going to Bible college. So what are you guys doing here? Oh, we're missionaries. God's called us to be missionaries to, to Colorado Springs. And guess what? I was like, we need it. Praise the Lord. We need it. You know, that's the reality. Other cultures have it right. They look at our culture and they go, you know what? There's a lot of lost people there. America brought us the word of God. Now we want to bring them uh, the word of God. So there's a lot of work to, to be done. In verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what matter of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul's going to describe this more in chapter 2, the manner in which he came. He came laboring with his own hands. He didn't come asking for money. Paul supported himself financially in the ministry. It's how God led him to do it. He would make tents with his hands. He says, we were laboring among you. You know in the manner in which we came, we came to serve you in this way. And I love what's described at the end of verse 9. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What a trade. That's a great trade. When they came to know the Lord... They came out of idolatry, out of this Greek pagan culture, and they said, we're going to leave these idols behind. They're dead. They can't save. They don't listen. And we're going to serve the living and, and true God. And your testimony is probably something like that. My testimony is something like that. We served something other than Jesus Christ. We turned from those things, said, I don't want those idols any longer. I want to serve the true and the living God. He's living. These idols are dead. In verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And wait for his Son from heaven. Paul, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy, said that he'd finished the race, that he'd kept the faith. And there was laid up for him a crown of righteousness. And then he said, and it's also laid up, this crown of righteousness, for all those who love his appearing. Church, that's the easiest crown to get. All we have to do is say, Jesus, I can't wait for you to come. I'm looking for your second coming. But how many times do I neglect to look for the second coming? I don't know what it is about the nature of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We tend to doubt it. Jesus said it. He declared it from his own lips. We don't know when, but he is coming. And to be in that place of waiting for his coming, it's important to the Lord. It's throughout scripture. Jesus told us to be watching and, and to be ready. 
and instruction for this church is to be waiting. So as we talk about the identity of the church, one of the things that should identify us, that should be a DNA marker of any church and hopefully Rocky Mountain Calvary, is our eyes are looking to heaven for Christ to return. We're not scoffing the second coming of Christ. We're waiting with expectation that Christ should come. If we believe that Christ could come, I think it does move us closer to the Lord. If your application of, well, Christ could come, is I'm going to go get more credit cards and not worry about the payments, that's not the right application of the reality that Christ could come. Man, if, he, if he's to come, I want to be ready. I want to be living my life as a good steward in all areas of my life. And there's an emphasis on that he's raised from the dead and that he's delivered us from the wrath to come. Maybe you've had a tough day, tough week. Okay, just a tough life. Maybe it's been a tough life. And it's difficult to find joy. If you're in Christ, man, you're saved from the wrath to come. This is the worst it's ever going to get for us. And that's where our hearts end, is to know that we're saved from the wrath to come. And if you don't know Christ, maybe you're wrestling. Maybe you haven't turned your heart and life to Christ. You've been coming for a while, or just a few weeks, or this is your first time. I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to know the power of the gospel. That Jesus loves you. That he loves the world, but he loves you. He created you. He died for you. He rose again. The only thing that can save us is trust and faith in Jesus. So may tonight be the night that you turn from your sin. May tonight be the night that you trust the free gift of Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, save me and be the Lord of my life. One of the things I think that God has been doing in the last few years is he's been stirring his church. Would you agree? And not just our church, not just Rocky Mountain Calvary, but all of the churches throughout the world. He's, he's stirring us. He's waking us up. He's saying, church, it's time for you to rise up and be the body of Christ. And I see that happening in our church. I see a contagious love for Jesus Christ. So what are the things that we learn about church from, from this chapter? First, it's our virtues. It's a work of faith. It's a labor of love. It's a patience of hope. It sounds difficult at times, doesn't it? Okay, I'm going to labor in love. I'm going to work in faith. I'm going to endure in patience. But great attributes to have. We've looked at the conception of the church, the gospel, to never move away. It's the conception, but it's also the continuation. But then the character. What, what should characterize us as a church? You know what? Man, receive the word. Receive the word. Hopefully what you will find, no matter who is up here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, is you should hear these words. Open your Bibles. So come ready to receive. Come with your Bible. Call me old school, but I love a printed Bible. You know, there's something about having one. I read on my iPad. I read on my iPhone. I'm not against it. But there's something about the fact when I'm reading my Bible that I cannot check ESPN.com. And that I can't check Craigslist. I got to tell you, I got a hobby just checking Craigslist when I'm not even going to buy anything. I'm not even in the market for a used car. But that used car could be out there. And, and Jeep Wagoneers are awesome. And so let's just check them out. It's, it's just a, a way to 
guys understand it. It's, it's just going into the white noise. You know, we get recharged for looking at Craigslist for a few minutes. You ladies are like, I've never done that in my life. You know? But you've done it at the mall. Come on. Anybody just cruised around Target for a while, even though you're not buying anything? Well, that's what I do on Craigslist, anyway. So, now that I've chased a rabbit and killed it, when I'm, when I'm reading my Bible, I can't check Craigslist. I, I can't go to ESPN.com. It, it's focused attention upon the Word. And as we come and spend time together, give it focused attention. Come with your Bible. Come with a pencil to underline. Come with... A pen and paper on the back of the bulletins. There's an opportunity to take notes. But more than anything else, it's the condition of the heart. God, I tremble before your word. God, I value your word. I don't want to become dull of hearing. When, when we read God's word in our devotional time, Lord, I, I am open. I want to receive it. I'm ready to receive it. God, give it to me. If you need to speak correction or encouragement, this is where I hear from you. It's the word of God. That was central to the church of Thessalonica is they receive the word. And we want that to be central for us as well. And we receive it with the intent to live it out through the power of the Holy Spirit and then sound it forth, declare it, share it. God, this is what God's spoken to me. Sometimes I love just talking to unbelievers like they're believers. I got one friend that he believes in God, but he doesn't believe in Christ and don't get to see him a lot. But when I do and he asks me how it's going, I talk to him just like I would a brother in the Lord. Like, man, this is what God's doing in our family. This is some of the challenges. This is what God's speaking to me. And he listens, right? You can do that with unbelievers that you got a relationship with. Just, just share with them the, the word of God. You don't always have to go, well, this is Romans 5, 8. Let me share with you the truth of this. You can share the meaning of the verse. You can even quote the verse. They're not going to know if you're quoting the, the verse or not without giving the reference. You know, a lot of times when we're in church, we're, we're used to church. So we say the reference, you know, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 or whatever. They're, they're not going to know what 1 Thessalonians means. They're going to be like, what? What language are you speaking? But it's an opportunity to share with them the, the truth of God's word and, and sound it forth and, and share it. So thankful for our church. So thankful for you and your, your love for the word and what God's doing in your life. And May we continue to press into the Lord and pray for one another that we would fulfill all that God has for us. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to be brothers and sisters, to be your sons and daughters. And God, would you continue to cause us to grow, to grow deeper in you, a deeper understanding of you, and a fresh awareness and desire to know the gospel, to share the gospel, to receive your word. And we pray for our community, for Colorado Springs. We pray that the word would be lived out, that the word would be sounded forth in in this community, that you would give us opportunities as a church collectively and as individuals to live your word and share your word. And God, this is all beyond us. We need your grace. We need the power of your spirit moving in and through us. Would you protect us from the enemy, protect us from sin? Will we lift up those daily needs? We pray for daily bread where it's needed in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.